Welcome back to Streamageddon, the podcast that tries to watch everything in the streaming universe so you don't have to. I'm your host, the only murderer in this building, Chris Barlow. That's, of course, because I, I always kill it on this podcast, you know? Uh, I'm, I'm joined across the internet, as always, by the Selena Gomez to my Martin Short, Diane Nora. Wow, that is very flattering. I'm obsessed with Selena Gomez. Great to see you, Chris. Great to see you. I think this makes our listeners the Steve Martin in our dynamic. Oh, fantastic. Right? Perhaps the best of the bunch. The listeners are the best of the bunch. We're so happy to be here with you listeners today so we can review season two of Only Murders in the Building on Hulu. We've seen the first three episodes, and so later this episode, we will be sharing our thoughts about those episodes. This is a kind of show where we say the word episode a lot. This is an episode of a show where we review episodes of other shows. You'll you'll get it. If you're new to the show, welcome. And uh, a bit later, very much later, near the end of this episode of the podcast, we're going to do another Rewind review and revisit a show that we reviewed the beginning of earlier this spring. I love that for you on Showtime. I love this for us. I'm just, I'm, I'm gaga over revisiting. I love that for you. And so later this episode, we're going to talk about how that season ended. I know that's very exciting, endings. And whether you watched the show or not, I think you'll really enjoy our conversation. Oh, absolutely. And if you're on the fence, like maybe you watched a few episodes, I think hearing our review might give you an idea if you want to continue. Honestly, yeah, it's a show where I really enjoyed it, and I don't think spoilers will hurt you. And I kind of feel the same way about what we're going to say about Only Murders in the Building. If you've seen season one and you have not started season two yet, I don't think we're going to spoil anything major. I think we're going to kind of get you excited for season two. So join us. Whether you watch these shows or not, you're going to have a great time. Because first... We're going to play a game. Surprise, Diane. I ambushed you with a very special round of our very favorite game here on the podcast. Yes, it's time to play. A little game that we call Renewed or Cancelled. This is a game, an ongoing, never-ending game, where I uh, ambush Diane with several shows that have either recently been renewed or canceled. And uh, I, I decided it would be fun to keep a running score here, Diane, so I want to let you know where you are overall. So far, we've played one extra large round of Renewed or Canceled, and you came in with 12 out of 18 correct, so the score currently stands at 12 out of 18. Today, I have six shows for you, so you have a chance to really improve your ratio here. I'm told this is how the math works. So are you ready, Diane? Do you need a reminder on your two lifelines? Oh, I think the reminder would be helpful. Yes, please. Yes, so Diane can use two lifelines. Lifeline number one, she can ask me which uh, streamer or network the show airs on, and I will reveal that to her. And lifeline number two, phone a friend. Unfortunately, she's recording the podcast right now, so the only friend she can phone is me. And the only question she's allowed to ask me is, would I renew or cancel this show if I was the one who got to make these decisions. And and one day, one day, Diane, I will be. Uh, so are you ready to go, Diane? Six shows. Ready as I'll ever be. <laughs> All right. Question number one. The Time Traveler's Wife. Oh, that got canceled. That is correct. That got canceled on HBO after one season. They are moving on. Uh, and so are we. Question number two. Evil. 
Evil is the Kings on CBS and it got renewed. Yes, yes. Say that with more confidence. Evil is the Kings on <laughs> CBS and it got renewed, but I, I do have one correction. Evil now airs exclusively on Paramount Plus. Oh, great. Okay, cool. Yep. Yeah, uh, that's coming back for a fourth season, season four of Evil. Next up, Night Sky. Oh, brother. Now we're getting tricky. Okay, uh, could you tell me what, how one might watch Night Sky? Yes, you're going to use that lifeline, and the answer is Amazon Prime Video. What? What is this show? Um, okay, let's guess that it was canceled. That's correct. It's a J.K. Simmons sissy Spacek show on Amazon. It was canceled after one season. Well, why wasn't I watching it? Jeez, I love them. You know, we did we did briefly discuss whether we wanted to review that show, and then we completely forgot about it, like apparently <laughs> everyone else. Next up, you're on a roll so far. This is good. This is good. Next, we have Your Honor. Your Honor sounds like a judge show. And I'm going to say that your honor was renewed. I'm sorry to say it was canceled, but this was a tricky one. Your Honor, a Showtime series starring Brian Cranston, was originally supposed to be a one-season limited series, but it was such a hit on Showtime, they gave it a second season. But now they're ending it after the second season. They've officially confirmed. Uh, too bad. I like Brian Cranston, too. Honestly, I thought that show had already been canceled. Next up, uh, and uh, whew, whew, this is the challenge round for me. Dog leash. Dog leash? Dog leash. Dog leash. Kind of like dog leash, but but one word. Dog leash? Um, okay, Chris, would would you renew dog leash? I mean, sure, I love the sound of it. I have no idea what this show is. I don't think that I really used my uh, phone or friend no, option. No, you're not, you're, you're not use. making the most of it yet, but we'll get there. We'll get there. Um, I'm going to guess that Dog Leash got renewed because we have no idea what it is. That's correct. It is a British detective series on Acorn TV, a co-production with AMC Networks. There you go. That's been renewed for two and three, three seasons now of Dog Leash. And finally, Joe Para Talks With You. Oh, this one I'm mad about. This got canceled. That's correct. That's on Adult Swim, canceled after three seasons. And there we go. Well, Five out of six, bringing your total score so far to 17 out of 24. That is math on the fly right there. And that is an improvement. I'd say, Diane, you're getting the hang of this little game that we like to call renewed or canceled. Wow. Wow. I hope that was exciting for you as it was for me. I just love a game. It, it certainly caught me by surprise. That was the goal. There we go. And now we all know about Dog Leash. If you listener, Honestly, that sounds like know something what, I meant like. I know. If you listener know what that show is and can correct my pronunciation of it, please podcast at streamageddon.com. I'd love to know. Uh, but right now, I'd love to know if you know about these news headlines that we're going to discuss. And uh, we're going to start with, um, I think, the topic that we always start with. Yes, it's the Netflocalypse. 
we always have to begin by talking about the big boy. And uh, Big Boy Netflix would like you to know that Stranger Things 4 still a hit. This is a major follow-up from last week where Stranger Things 4 was a hit. Now we just want you, listener, to know it is still a hit. Uh, this article from The Verge that we read talking about the success of the show, um, one thing that caught my eye in there was that they said it was in the top 10 in 93 countries over that's the impressive. weekend. Which, that's that's huge. Yeah, I would say Stranger Things really is everywhere now, which is impressive because it feels like a slice of 80s Americana to me in a lot of ways. So it, it's it, not something where I would have assumed it would have a lot of international appeal. But of course, America's number one export is its international appeal. So why not? Uh, one, one other thing I noted in that Verge article, which we linked to, they got their stats from uh, Netflix announcing very triumphantly that people have now watched more than a billion hours of Stranger Things 4 one billion hours uh not that still does not surpass the first season of squid game so it's number two essentially behind season one of squid game but it has time to catch it i enjoyed that this announcement from netflix came from netflix's like a uh, press release blog their hr uh, hr their pr blog uh, remember netflix had a whole blog that they created called to dumb yeah. that then they didn't promote and then they laid everyone off from what I just I, I just had a moment of what you already have this blog, then you made another blog, then you got rid of that but what would you pick a place? Pick a thing. Mm, they should just like start a live journal. Yes. Oh, you know what? They need more things. They need a podcast and maybe a, a show that they broadcast on YouTube Live just to mix it up, confuse everybody. Yeah, 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 yeah. If Netflix is looking for some podcast hosts, I oh, know I, some. I am absolutely willing to work for Netflix for six months before they change their mind and shutter the entire project and lay me off. I am absolutely happy to take that job. Again, podcast at streamageddon.com. We'll get our CVs to you. We will. Read, read. We know you listen. Hey, Ted. But, you know, overall, I think Netflix is doing very well with their uh, release strategy for Stranger Things. They're getting the extended headlines that they, I think, wanted to get. We talked a lot about how spreading out Stranger Things for, uh, you know, spread out subscriber cycles to limit churn. But that's not the only reason that they spread that out. And I think this shows they've been able to kind of dominate the summer uh, conversation at a time when there are a lot of big summer movies hitting like Thor and uh, whatever other superhero movie fill in the blank. And so I think that just shows that, you know, the experimenting they're doing with the release strategies, uh, it seems to be working for them. Absolutely. It's also interesting that it's been such a hit with young people. Um, like there are so many TikTok trends and stuff that are about the new content from Stranger Things, which to me... It's, it feels like like the culture is like starting with the young people and then making its way to the older generations. It's like a, a slow build to get that four quadrant viewership that we were talking about. That's not the only Stranger Things news we have this week, though, because the Duffer Brothers are revealing a bit about what's next for the Duffer Brothers. And uh, the Duffer Brothers have a few things in mind. There is a Stranger Things spinoff that they will tease forever and never tell us anything about. Uh, all they've said, I believe, is that it's not more Eleven-y stuff. There was that one episode in that one season that teased the idea that they could just do, like, this punk kids with special powers spinoff. And I don't really think anyone was that jazzed about that idea. And they want us to know that is not the spinoff they have in mind. And that is all they want us to know. 
I can only imagine it'll be nine hours per episode mm-hmm. and that I won't be able to stop watching it. Yeah, so. that sounds right. With a budget of $40 million per hour per episode. That sounds correct. <laughs> Uh, but that is just one project they have going on. Uh, according to The Hollywood Reporter, they are also going to be uh, doing a, a Stephen King adaptation at Netflix. And they want to do a stage play set in the world of Stranger Things. Because sure, Harry Potter decided we could do a stage play set in any piece of pop culture. Let's just do it. Let's just do it. I mean, uh, people are going to pay to see it. Yes. So and it will it not be authentic sense. if it is anything shorter than eight hours with three intermissions. <laughs> it should be Sign one of those. Up. Yeah, it's got to be an all day. Listen, Harry Potter's two parts. This needs to be three parts minimum. Maybe with like a one month gap between parts two and three. So you have to come back to New York City to see the finale. Ooh, that that would uh, avoid churn. Yeah, it would. It would. <laughs> call me, Reed. Call me. In fact, Mayor Eric Adams, I found a way to increase tourism. Trap them here for a month. Call me. Call me. Uh, interesting thing about the Stephen King adaptation. It's uh, The Talisman, which uh, Stephen King wrote with Peter Straub. And that book is actually also the protagonist is a 12-year-old. So it seems like they have sort of hit this sweet spot of... Uh, young adult nostalgia with that supernatural 80s vibe i mean honestly it's a great genre for them to be in right now because it appeals to Mm -hmm. young people who see themselves in the protagonists and it appeals to old people like us because we desperately wish we could still see ourselves in these protagonists (laughs) absolutely but you know stranger things is just one of the shows we seem to always talk about in this section of the podcast. Another show we seem to always talk about in this section of the podcast is, in fact, a whole universe of shows. It's Star Wars. You thought I was going to say the Marvel Cinematic Universe, didn't you? Didn't you? That is not this week. Probably next week. So, uh, in new Star Wars news, they've announced more info on how they're going to lay out the seasons of the show Andor, which is a prequel to Rogue One. Correct. So that makes it a sequel to the prequel trilogy, but a prequel to Rogue One. And I don't know where that puts it in relation to Obi-Wan Kenobi, and I assume that's not relevant. I didn't realize how close of a prequel it was. It actually has Diego Luna's character from Rogue One. From Rogue One. the main character. Yeah. Yeah, in a way, there's an alternate Star Wars universe where they made more of these one-off movies before they shifted strategy, and there are more of these interesting characters. Because I I loved Rogue One. Rogue One is probably my favorite Star Wars movie since the original trilogy. Like, it's the best one Mm -hmm. in terms of story, characters, pacing, and how it slots into the overall epic of Star Wars. It slots in better than most of these uh, Star Wars shows have so far. So perhaps Andor will take some of that and work some more magic. We will find out. What we do know is that season one of Andor is going to cover approximately one year in Andor's life as he gets involved with the rebellion uh, leading up. uh, What did they say here? This takes place five years before Rogue One. So this Mm -hmm. is the first year as he gets involved. Then season two will cover all of the remaining years leading up to Rogue One, suggesting they have no plans for a season three. Because if you, spoiler alert, don't remember, there's not a, a chance that we'll see these characters again after the events of Rogue One, let's say. Right. 
Uh, I think that this strategy of pacing the episodes that way actually sounds promising. Uh, I like that they're mixing up the timeline a little bit. You know, it could shake up the storytelling in an interesting way. Well, there are a lot of shows that do things like that. They do a time <laughs> jump. Here, they're they're kind of deliberately saying in season two, every few episodes, they will jump ahead another year. So here they have kind of a structure to it. What's interesting to me is that they're pre-announcing this before the first season is even out. We are still uh, many, many weeks away from season one of Andor. And they, they want to set the expectations so clearly up front. They didn't explicitly say there's only going to be two seasons, but I think part of this is saying there's probably only going to be two seasons. And the first season is all going to be set up, and the second season is all going to be kind of the execution, it sounds like, where we jump ahead and we jump ahead and we see the big events that he's involved in. Well, so part of this is just a strategy to dominate the streaming news for years before the show is even being seen. <laughs> it's working on us. Yeah, I was going to say, they did create a headline out of absolutely nothing. And now here we are discussing that headline. Wow. Good job, Disney. Good job. <laughs> you might say that they're professionals at this. I don't know. I don't know. Years down the line, we can let you know if it worked. Yeah, in 52 years, when all of this is aired, we'll get back to you. But you know, we do have some news about a streaming service that we only occasionally talk about. Very excited to move on to anything that is not literally Disney Plus or Netflix. So let's just go to the other massive conglomerate, Warner Brothers Discovery. Which I love to call Wabro Disco. And, of course, they are the new corporate owner of HBO and HBO Max. So that brings us to some HBO news. Uh, as part of this transition uh, into Wabro Disco land, HBO has announced that HBO and HBO Max, they're going to cease their original programming efforts for HBO Max in uh, the Nordics and Central Europe. The Nordics and Central Europe. Uh, this has uh, been covered by Variety and The Hollywood Reporter. We'll have a couple links in the show notes. I, I have some quotes from The Hollywood Reporter that I think paint the picture a bit of like, well, what does that mean? And what are these shows? And why? Uh, so uh, according to The Hollywood Reporter, it, they've halted development of any shows or original programming in those parts of Europe after their merger completed, essentially. And that part of this is as they work to combine HBO Max and Discovery Plus. So they're, they're you know, we already know they're looking to kind of trim budgets and eliminate any overlap uh, between the two kind of organizations as they merge them. And that ultimately they want to have one giant streaming service. Part of that is also, I think, getting international rights in order. And these shows that are produced internationally might have agreements to air on certain networks in certain countries, and they might not want that anymore. They might want to own all that content in-house. Uh, the uh, examples of what shows these might be, I'm sure you've heard of all of these, and you are desperately sad that they might be canceled now. The Danish family drama, Kamikaze, great name for a Danish family drama. The Swedish sex comedy, Lust, Great name for a Swedish sex comedy. The Hungarian spy thriller, The Informant. Also, great name. And the Polish crime drama, The Thaw. Also, fairly great. good name. These are great fairly names. Good name. <laughs> I, I want to go check all of these out, but won't because they're probably canceled now. Uh, but great, great titles. Really interesting. Sure. Uh, why would we do this? Well, here's the answer. The quote from uh, Wabro Disco CEO. David Zaslav, the world has changed, and it's not about how much, it's about how good. 
David Zasloff 2022. Just like, uh, you know, inscription on my tombstone. I think just about every streamer would like to, you know, have that same philosophy and say, we're focusing on the quality of our content and not the quantity right now. Yeah, which I guess is a weird way to throw shade at these shows that all have really good titles, but I guess the quality isn't there. Um, they did mention that there will be uh, continuing linear content there, so it's not that they won't be making new content in that region, it just won't be straight to HBO Max. Yeah, it's important to differentiate. It gets so confusing with HBO and HBO Max. I'm guilty of using them interchangeably. They are not interchangeable. Uh, this is specifically the Max Originals. No more Max Originals. We won't get our, our amazing Polish hacks, basically. You know, I'm sad about that. I think, you know, I, I could just picture a, a, a hearty female Polish comedian in her 70s on a road trip to Warsaw with her young ingenue. Yeah, yeah, I'd watch that. That sounds so good. Zaslav, call me. Call me, David. <laughs> you know, we have one more new news story I wanted to get to. Uh, it's a topic we've touched on from time to time. Uh, unionization, and in particular in animation. And so I, this headline caught my eye. Uh, the Simpsons, Family Guy, and American Dad's production and IT workers have been voluntarily recognized uh, by their, their management as they join the Animation Guild. And uh, that's exciting for them. I'm, uh, congrats to them, I think. I think I hope they are excited by that. Uh, it, I suppose yeah. it was an easy ask because the Animation Guild already represents many other people involved in the production of all of those shows. Uh, the news here is that this is the first time the Animation Guild has um, gone out for IT workers. And I think it, it, something I hadn't thought actively about until I read this, but so much modern animation involves g digital art, computers. Mm -hmm. And so the IT team is as deeply involved in the production process at this point on some of these shows as the, the people who draw, so to speak, uh, whether they're, who are probably drawing on computers now. So I thought that was a really interesting um, example of how the industry is changing and how uh, they're kind of growing uh, who is an artist in some ways, who deserves to be represented by the Guild. Yeah, absolutely. It's also really interesting because when we do reviews and even news, it mostly focuses on the actors, the writers, maybe directors, but, um, you know, less so on... So many of these shows are just made by massive teams of people that are bringing everything together, particularly in the world of animation. So it's really exciting to have more people recognized and then hopefully, you know, getting that great union representation. So. Well, that's all the news we have to get to this week. Although I suppose there is a mystery afoot that we have to address, a mystery of who killed. Well, that might be a spoiler alert. So it's time for our review of Only Murders in the Building. Ah, yes. A little, a little misdirection there for you. We are not about to spoil anything until we give you a spoiler warning. Uh, we're going to be discussing the first three episodes of season two of Only Murders in the Building on Hulu. Uh, that also means we are going to be open to spoiling anything that happened in season one. So if you've been waiting to watch season one of this show, as much as I would love for you to stick around, I'm going to tell you to probably drop off and just actually go watch season one of the show. It's been out for a while. I, I will not avoid spoiling it at this point because you've had your chance and this is literally the last chance you will ever have unless you you know um take the headphones out 
Yeah, and and we I think we'll both tell you you should watch season one yeah. of Only Murders in the Building. Um, I yeah. recommend it. Yeah, I wanted to start really quickly with just what what, uh, what was your journey with season one? Because I was excited for the show as fans of uh, Steve Martin and Martin Short in particular. Uh, and, and and sure, it sounded up my alley. I've lived and worked in and around the Upper West Side of New York for much of my adulthood. And so uh, a show set in the um, many co-ops and apartment buildings of the Upper West Side, in addition to being about podcasting, which, spoiler alert, I also am a big fan of, uh, that, that sounded up my alley. Uh, when the show actually aired, the f- first half of the season, I was enjoying it, but I wasn't really sure where it was going or how uh, how interested the show was in moving beyond just the jokes and the parody of the podcasting universe and into mm-hmm. more of a character study. And, and spoiler alert for season one, they, they do move deeper. And I found the end of that season really satisfying uh, and had the, the kind of double whammy of... Uh, satisfying emotional arcs for the main characters and we finally got some really ridiculous physical comedy from Steve Martin in the season finale and the fact that they showed some restraint on some of the goofiness until we earned it really cemented it for me absolutely yeah I loved the first season I waited a little bit to see it I um, prefer to watch things as a as a binge you're a binger it's fine i'm a it's binger fine. i really am um and so i think i watched all of the first season in a day or two um after it had been out for a couple months and then i made my parents watch it because i thought that they would enjoy it and i think they did maybe not as much as i did and then i made my boyfriend watch it so i've seen the first season so three pusher. times now you're pushers what you're I'm, saying i am mm-hmm. Well, I, I really <laughs> like rewatching things too, uh, especially like a good whodunit. And I found that the the mystery of the first season was satisfying. It does take a little bit to hit its stride. I think yeah. like the comedy was there right away, and the show has a lot of sweetness to it, which I appreciate. Um, it just seems that. Uh, Obviously, Steve Martin and Martin Short have worked together for years. They seem to get on really well with Selena Gomez, too. And all the other, like, tiny characters who make up the world of the Arconia, which is the building that uh, the murders are in, (laughs) Uh, all of those characters are just such a fun community uh, that I'm just really drawn to their little world that they've built, which, though it has murders, is kind of wholesome. Yeah, that's a charming element to the show. Uh, you mention the the kind of warmth and camaraderie between the main cast, but that does extend to how it views, I think, the entire world of the Arconia. It has a lot of empathy for these mm-hmm. people who live on top of each other. And, and it, it feels like a really wonderful New York show to me, not just because it's literally set in New York and and loves to lean into that, but because the truth of living in a place like New York is you have so much tension with all the strangers around you and it's so annoying and they get on your nerves all the time, but you won't survive here without losing your mind if you don't also show warmth and empathy to those people who you live with and uh, hopefully get some back from them. Because the fact that we all live on top of each other means it only works if we show some empathy to each other. And there is something so true about that. And it's so rare for, in particular, a comedy and, and a little bit of a dark comedy to open up to such a warm, happy moral 
about these people and to to come back to it over and over and just when you think somebody is a totally evil or bad or just mean character the next episode opens their world up to you which is something they do very well in season one but in the first three episodes of season two they show they can do it again and it is still very satisfying each time yeah and they also will go the other way with that which was a fun in terms of twists that um you know Okay, so we have given the spoiler alert. I cannot it's continue happening. to spoiler it. We're going to tell you what happened <laughs> in season one now. So, you know, uh, Jan, who is Steve Martin's girlfriend, uh, in in the first season, we find out, is the killer uh, at the end of season one. And she gets pretty scary. Yeah. She's been really charming, and their relationship is cute. She's a bassoon player. It's all, like, sort of nerdy and sweet uh and and then it it gets pretty dark uh she's really sociopathic it was fun yep that was a fun twist and that's what you know it gets to do that because of the genre it's playing in that is right on par with the kind of murder mystery genre and so they're able to have their cake and eat it too in some ways they're able to give us all this empathy and warmth but then also give us the twist of a, a kind of mustache twirling villain like jan uh, and that's mm. great. I mean, that is ultimately why I found the show so satisfying by the end of the season, because you got to see how all of those different, it's a little like an orchestra, all the different instruments began to blend together into a greater composition, uh, which isn't clear in the first couple episodes. So if maybe you watched half the first season or a couple episodes and then you didn't finish it, I, I would encourage you to at least give the rest of the first season a chance, because it, it really um, shows its confidence as it grows. And so far, so far, season two has that confidence at the get-go, which is a great thing about a second or third season of a show. If they've Mm -hmm. learned where their footing is, if they really feel like they're on solid ground now, they can hit the ground running in the beginning of a new season. I also think just the they're hitting more of the jokes right off the bat. And that's so normal for a comedy to take, you know, a few episodes or even a whole season to find their comedic voice. Not that I think it took that long for this show to do so, um, probably because you have so many great comedy vets involved. But, you know, the dynamic between the three main characters is so strong that all of their banter is just really fun. And I think um, the number of jokes that hit for me per episode is higher than it was in season one. And I find myself laughing aloud watching the show a a lot, even by myself. (laughs) Yes, me too, me too. Uh, Well, where we are at the beginning of season two, the end of season one, our our team, the uh, hosts of Only Murders in the Building, solve the murder of Tim Kono. They they realize Jan was the murderer of Tim Tim Kono. And uh, while celebrating, there is a, a surprise crisis. It seems Selena Gomez. It seems, appears, that she has murdered uh, the busybody of the building, Bunny Folger, uh, head of the building's board. Uh, seems seems that she has stabbed Bunny Folger with a pair of knitting needles in Selena Gomez's Mabel's apartment. That is the cliffhanger we got at the end of season one. And honestly, I wasn't sure we would get some kind of cliffhanger because the way season one wrapped, it almost mm-hmm. felt like maybe they weren't sure they were going to do another season. Maybe they didn't know if Hulu would be interested or if they'd be interested. It seemed like they were maybe just going to end the story. Um, and so I gasped at the end of season one. And season two picks up right after that, essentially. Not much time has passed. The thrust of season two is we have to prove Mabel is innocent. 
uh, because they right. the whole the whole group is is uh, implied to be guilty together. They are a unit now. Right. And I was also really relieved that since they did kill off Bunny Folger at the end of season one, uh, which is the case that we're uh, solving along with our um, podcasting detectives in the new season, that we still get lots of Jane Hodichel, who plays uh, Bunny Folger uh, in this season through flashbacks because she is so fantastic. Yeah. And I, I already alluded to this. Uh, if you watched and remember season one, there's a whole episode taken from the perspective of Tim Kono, the, the victim, uh, mm. which is one of the great episodes of season one because it catches you unexpectedly and... Uh, gives you a different perspective both on the case but also on him a person who you realize nobody really liked and so getting his perspective and 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 some empathy for him really opened that up similarly episode three of season two is bunny folger's last day and it's both her last day before she's murdered and it's also her last day as president of the building's board which then builds in some more intrigue for who would have a motive to kill her because by the end of the day she's changed her mind and she doesn't want to give up her position as head of the board because she realizes the arconia is kind of her life this actually really kind of uh pulled my heartstrings no, this it's, episode it's the best episode of the season so far episodes one and oh, two yeah. great but th- this is the best episode of the season so far easily up there with the best episodes from season one agreed i almost cried so there are i mean it's got some funny moments too oh, yeah. but really you realize that She's very alone in many ways, even though she's part of this community. And in the first season, we do see her nag a lot. Um, She, in particular, um, gives a lot of grief to Martin Short's character uh, because he's behind on rent. Um, Because he's a deadbeat who's behind on his rent all the time. Yeah, you know, you can understand it a little bit. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's it's not such a stretch to see that Oliver might be frustrating yeah. for his landlord. Um, but, uh, you know, she she's always giving him a hard time and she keeps trying to shut down the podcast. So she is an antagonist of sorts, even though she's not a murderous villain in the first season. But seeing things from her perspective and how she seems to really care about everything that's going on in the building, but also she's so deeply involved in these people's lives but they don't really know much about her at all and that was that was sad i i felt so awful for her yeah yeah and you got such a window into her real life in that episode uh the little moments that that to me again really identifiable as a new yorker she has this relationship with the guy at the coffee cart outside they talk about Mm -hmm. nick's games together you know She, she has this rich life of very isolated little relationships that I think anyone who's lived in a big city was very, very familiar with that. Uh, And that you realize through that, that she's both a little unhappy or wondering if she's unhappy. And as she really questions that, she also sees that these are some of the relationships she cares most about the people in the building who she does have an antagonistic relationship with at times, but also she kind of loves the building. She grew up in the building, we learned. She's been in this building her whole life. Uh, and so while she briefly thinks of uh, living part time in Florida, she thinks different of it by the end of the episode. But that causes a very dramatic confrontation with uh, Nina, who was going to take over as head of the board, suggesting perhaps Nina had a motive to murder her. 
She also had an interaction with uh, Ivan, I think his name was, at the coffee shop. Um, yes. Or the diner that she goes to all the time, um, where she gave him a large envelope of cash. Um, it looked like quite a lot, and we don't know why, but I imagine that too. It could be a red herring, or there could be something going on there. Well, there was something about her painting came up there too. So a lot of this revolves right. around a painting that was in Bunny's apartment that is a, a sexually explicit-ish painting. Mm -hmm. It's not like a porny painting. It's just there's a, a naked man sort of like suckling on a breast. I don't know. That's what you get. And, and, and so this painting, very important to Bunny, uh, happens to have a man in it that looks a lot like Steve Martin. Uh, and what we learn is that it's actually a painting of his father, who we learn through some flashbacks to Charles's childhood, uh, was pretending to be an aspiring actor, but was probably more of a um, aspiring uh, sex worker. That's the appropriate term. Uh, and perhaps mm -hmm. part-time model, sexy model. Let's say he was a sexy model uh, who also got around quite a bit. And so there is a, a slight possibility that Charles and Bunny are related. That is dangled out there as a, a loose end. And one of Bunny's last words before she died uh, to Mabel was, Savage, which is Charles's last name. So there, there are these clues and these windows into some relations we didn't know about. Mm -hmm. And the fact that so Mabel didn't disclose that information right away, and she didn't disclose it to the detectives uh, who are working on the case. Correct. Um, we have Detective Williams returning from season one, who is so much fun, and also uh, Michael Rapoport, who is new to the second season, I think, as the second detective. Um, so I was really glad to see uh, Detective Williams return. Um, but I think uh, the fact that Mabel had withheld that made me think perhaps she's interested also in protecting her friend. So while we need to see is Mabel guilty, it could also be that Charles is guilty. And I'm sure we'll also find out it could also be that Oliver's guilty. I'm sure all of those possibilities will be laid out for us as tantalizing things to talk about. Yes, 100%. I also liked that that uh, kind of revelation of the, the additional details around what's happening are being drawn out as we are catching up with uh, the case, essentially. Uh, and so one detail that came out at the end of the third episode, the flashback to Bunny Folger's last day, is that Bunny actually came to congratulate the, the gang on solving the case and if only, if only the gang had invited her in for a, a glass of champagne, because she brought them a bottle of champagne, if only the gang had invited her in, she would have lived. But she didn't ask, and they didn't think to invite her, because they've been nemeses the entire first season. And so they send her out. And there's this very sad moment where she kind of cries in the hallway, and they have a very funny scene right on the other side of the door deciding if they should invite her in. And by the time they realize they should, she's gone. They then decide to go to the roof in case she comes back because that's too awkward and they don't want to deal with it. And that, to me, is both really sad, 
really funny and really relatable. And it tees up mm-hmm. why they were on the roof at the end of the first season. Because the whole twist at the end of the first season is they're celebrating on the roof. And then when Mabel goes down to get another bottle of champagne, she seems to kill Bunny. And so now we see literally the moments before, the machinations of uh, you know, literally where people were and when and why, and how little coincidences made a big difference. And I find all of that really satisfying on the mystery side, but also, again, as, you know, this show that shows a lot of empathy into the characters, that moment, again, they're kind of doing a mean thing. They're fleeing in case she comes back because they can't deal with the awkwardness of inviting her in after hearing her cry in the hallway. But that also, in a way, shows a lot of empathy to them because that's a really human reaction. I saw that and I went, oh, my God, that would I would die from the awkwardness of that scenario. Oh, yeah. And that is one of those things that felt really New York to me is because we do live on top of each other. You hear things happening in your neighbor's apartment, many of which we just all politely pretend that we didn't hear. And this sort of, you know, willful suspension of disbelief that we all do when we interact with each other is um, how we're able to go about our lives politely, you know, even though we can basically hear everything that happens. Yeah. There is no real privacy. (laughs) Yeah. And it's also kind of fitting for a show that's dealing with the spectacle of true crime. There is no privacy Mm -hmm. in true crime. Everyone's got their nose in your business. And this is a situation where they watch this painting move around, essentially. The painting appears in Charles's apartment, and they panic because it makes them look guilty. So then they have to get rid of the painting. And it becomes becomes a gag in some ways. The painting disappears and shows up in Amy Mm -hmm. Schumer's apartment. And after all this, we learn the painting is a fake. Somebody already stole the original. So there is, you know, the goofiness of following that that red herring, but there is also the element of knowing that at any moment, if you're caught with the wrong thing in your hand or the wrong painting on your wall, you will look so guilty, there will be no changing anyone's mind ever, which is a very modern true crime um, dilemma if you're ever accused of something, which, boy, I hope I'm not. I'm just putting that out there. Please don't accuse me of anything because I don't know what's on my walls. No, I certainly, my walls are, that's why I have nothing on my walls. That's why your walls are Now I have an excuse. Yes, yes, yes. You did that on purpose. You're prepared. Uh, But I do think that's something I'm really enjoying this season is the way that the show is also about how everyone interacts with art, partially in the use of the parody of podcasting but also um with mabel's character who mabel is a fine artist and she has this uh budding relationship with another artist played by cara delavine um who seems to do some sort of it's like sculpture with performance because she also she builds a sculpture and then part of the performative act is to have mabel destroy it But uh, she has some sort of artist collective and is luring Mabel into that world. She could also potentially be She could be the killer. She could be the killer. Why are you trying to rope Mabel into this world? Mabel right now is known as Bloody Mabel on the social media Mm -hmm. because she seems super, super guilty of murdering Bunny Folger. So there is this question of, you know, uh, is this invitation into the world of questionable high art uh, performative, strange, experimental art. Is this genuine or is is it having, you know, Bloody Mabel as part of your artist collective in and of itself some kind of act of art? 
And I think that's also part of the show's way of acknowledging that its stars are stars. Yeah. You know, like it, it deals with celebrity and the idea of being known and um, whether people have privacy, what you really know about someone when you think they know them. Like it plays with that in a really fun way. Um, uh, in the first season, Sting le- lives in the penthouse apartment of the Arconia. Um, as Chris mentioned, in this new season, it's Amy Schumer playing herself um, or, a you know, a heightened version of herself. Um and also uh charles's character is a tv star or a faded tv star yeah he's kind of like in a way he makes me think of like what if jerry orbach was still alive and retired and we'd be like you were the detective you were the one he's got that vibe of like yeah you're the brazos guy you were on that detective show forever yeah that's the only thing you'll ever be known for but for those of us who know Jerry Orbach, Jerry Orbach that would be is huge. everything, that would be huge. you know? Yeah. I it's love very, one, of the, big deal. one of the plot lines here in season two is they're rebooting Brazos. And of course, Charles Hayden Savage briefly thinks that means he's back as Brazos. But no, they've rebooted Brazos with a new young <laughs> Brazos. And he's Uncle Brazos, who's not even, they're like, how is he the uncle? And they're like, oh, you know, just old man. Which, I mean, right now, he sure. is a lead on this show, but part of the reason they were able to make it, I'm sure, is because it's with Selena Gomez, too. So you have that, you know, appealing to multiple audiences and generations. Yeah. Yeah, I, I am really enjoying the season so far, and it's reminding me so much of what I loved about season one of the show. And like I said, it's hitting the ground running, so in a way, I'm very optimistic because it's reminding me of the things I loved later in season one, already Mm -hmm. and i'm hoping that means that they've got a lot of room to grow and some new surprises yeah me too i'm definitely gonna keep watching i do wish that it came out all at once so that i I could binge it i don't but at the same time this is a smart strategy yeah i especially with a mystery show it is it is absolutely bingeable but i love having to spend a week thinking about okay well now i know this other little detail and they're very good at ending the episodes on some uh interesting twists or revelations Mm -hmm. and so that that just and and also might i add fits very well with the true crime podcast genre oh yeah absolutely the only thing about that that's (laughs) a little funny is that they're supposedly creating the podcast as they solve oh, the crime oh, like all which tv they shows acknowledge about podcasts, this season it's absurd yes and they know that <laughs> yeah they're like just recording with a little handheld recorder at all moments at all times and then when they seem to be recording the like monologue parts of the true crime episode they're like on a little stage in oliver's apartment that has like no soundproofing completely doesn't make any sense whatsoever nobody would ever make a podcast like that but that's okay I forgive it is. them. Yeah, it's delightful. <laughs> <laughs> well, you listener, if you watch season two of Only Murders in the Building, let us know what you're thinking. And if you think we should do a rewind review, let us know. We'll come back and we will solve the mystery at the end of the season. But speaking of rewind reviews, we do have time for a very quick rewind. <laughs> To a little show we reviewed earlier this year called I Love That For You on Showtime. Uh, if you have not seen season one of I Love That For You on Showtime, we are about to spoil all of season one of I Love That For You on Showtime. And I love the show, so I will not hold back. Ready? I am. I also love the show. 
Isn't that great? Well, let's pick up where we left off. Where When we reviewed the first few episodes, our concern was how they were going to handle kind of the fundamental... Uh, element of the show, which is that Vanessa Bayer's character lies about her cancer being back in order to keep this dream job at a home shopping network. She she gets this job at SVN through a kind of audition contest. She blows it on day one, and she's a she's not just about to be fired. She is fired, and then she blurts out that her cancer is back. Her cancer that has been gone for years since she was a teenager. She blurts out it's back. It's a big lie, but everybody suddenly has a lot of sympathy for her. She suddenly gets to keep her job, and not just that, it becomes the thing that she is associated with on air, and it becomes the thing that gets her attention, and suddenly she's very successful because of the lie. And our question was, how long can you keep that up without us genuinely hating her. Did I summarize that question correctly, Diane? Was that where we left off? Yeah, absolutely. And I think we both were concerned because we don't want to hate her. Yes, because she's so charming like and so relatable. Many of the characters on this show are so great, which is why I really love it and why I loved the whole season more than I love just those first few episodes because I think that these relationships and characters grow a lot over the course of the first season. Yes, I could not have said that better myself. If if you're listening on uh, spoiler, spoiler be gone, or, or what am I trying to say? If you're listening on and you care not what we spoil, I'm going to tell you, uh, she has to reveal the truth uh, in a pretty dramatic moment later in the season. Uh, she reveals to the entire staff, and she briefly thinks she's revealed it to the viewers of SVN, which is a great twist. And that is something clearly that's going to you know, uh, be a fertile ground for new uh, tension in season two. She She's on air, mm-hmm. she, and she thinks she's telling everyone watching their cancer fundraiser that she's been lying about her cancer the whole time. But in fact, they've cut the feed. She's just admitted her lie to everyone who works at SVN, who now, of course, they all hate her. The, the thing that uh, adds a twist to this, I think, and I think this was really smart, is about midway through the season... Uh, her her boss, the other major character played by Jennifer Lewis, I mean, I guess there's the three major characters, all love to Molly Shannon always, but Jennifer Lewis is uh, kind of the, the antagonist in a lot of ways. She mm-hmm. gets diagnosed with cancer. And it comes out, I think, in such a smart series of little scenes where they're playing up uh, they're playing up Vanessa Bayer's cancer, Joanna's cancer. They're trying to research doing this cancer fundraiser because that'll make a lot of money for the network. Then they they happen to go to this like mobile mammogram unit, and Jennifer Lewis is like, "Ooh, the the mammogram technician's hot. You can do my mammogram." Then she sleeps with him because that's what she does with all these hot men, and that's part of her character. And we've already established that, so we're like, "You go, Jennifer Lewis. Everything's going the way we think it does with you." And then she finds out that actually she has cancer. And part of her journey with dealing with that is that she keeps it a secret from practically everyone, but chooses to tell Joanna because she think jo- thinks Joanna understands what she's going through. Correct. And she thinks Joanna can bring in a doctor to confirm the diagnosis or not because she doesn't want to believe it. And that leads Joanna to trick her trick to convince her father to impersonate a doctor. I mean, they go they go to such a cringy place for a moment there. Mm-hmm. But at that point... I was willing to give them I was willing to give them that opportunity in a lot of ways because once they gave once they gave cancer to somebody once there was a real character in the mix with real cancer who was seeking help from Joanna something about that made me go okay they're not going to make light 
of this this cancer issue with Joanna. They're going no. to make her confront the seriousness of it. And they, they ultimately did in every way I was imagining. But I, I thought it was really smart. This was about halfway through the season that they had uh, Patricia reve- discover and then reveal to Joanna that she has this diagnosis. And that that gave me a sense of like calm almost. Like, okay, they know where they're going. They're not doing something that's going to make me cringe at the end of the season, even if I want to cringe at moments right now. I'm willing to cringe on the way as long as I feel like, okay, the the, the show is in the right place, that I'm not going to hate Joanna at the end, like we said, because ultimately right. I want to love Joanna. I'm here because I love, I love all these characters, really, even the total douchebags who work at the network. I love them all. I do too. And the relief I felt when Joanna finally confessed to them all uh, on camera was so monumental. And then they had one of my favorite comedy bits that I've seen on TV this year, which was that there had been a possibility for some time that celebrity Ryan Phillippe (laughs) might be able to come uh, as you know, a guest host because he supports this cancer charity. And he uh, is revealed as a cameo at the end of this episode. And he's just so pissed at Joanna for her lie. He's trying to get out of his appearance. Then we see him trying to sell his, like, his Felipe steaks or something, Felipe fillets. And and she's like, they prepped (laughs) me for how to say your name. And I don't think that's how they say your name. (laughs) Just everything about it. Really, really it was excellent. So funny. I I just almost screamed when they first showed him. It was so so good. Um, I, just really really funny. I loved. So in this very dark moment where you're really concerned for these characters, you don't know what's going to happen with Jackie's health. Joanna's just confessed to doing something truly awful, and I'm just, just like could not stop laughing. Yeah, and that's that's where the show really shined. We were having fun with the first few episodes, but once it showed that it has such a great um, uh, deft ability to navigate very light and dark moments in in mm-hmm. quick succession or or simultaneously even the balance there there aren't many shows that can do that well it reminds me a bit of Barry in some ways where the show can be very very dark and very hilarious at the same time and that is not easy because it requires really good writing, really great cast, and then the direction has to be on point too. Like the way that the camera catches Ryan Philippe in the background, it, that's just as important. Oh my God, it was so funny. I Also, you mentioned this whole cast of characters. They've really done a great job of developing the bench, I think. Yeah. Um, and everyone at the network is so funny. I loved what they did with Matt Berry's character over the course of the season. Matt Rogers. He, oh, yeah. <laughs> Matt Berry's totally different actor, sorry. <laughs> I love what they did with Matt Rogers' character over the course of the season. Um, he is hysterical and there's a moment where um he thinks that he has betrayed and ruined his relationship with jackie his boss jennifer and um patricia we're just we're really making a word salad of their names here jennifer lewis whose character's name is patricia his boss oh my gosh um this is the hard part of the rewind review yeah we actually we did not mention 
Matt Rogers in our original review. We, we we had talked about how much we were loving his performance, but in the course of recording, he j- did not come up, which was an oversight to me because his his performance is amazing. And the more mm-hmm. time we got with his character, uh, the best moments with his character all came in the back half of the season. He thinks he's betrayed Patricia uh, because he feels uh, he feels unrecognized. He feels unloved by Patricia throughout a lot of the season. And uh, when she is going through the beginning of her cancer scare, her cancer diagnosis. Uh, he doesn't know, because she's keeping it secret. She's doing very selfish things, and he doesn't understand why. He uses her credit card to buy this extremely fancy bag. Uh, and there's something so genuine and sweet and and relatable about the moment he does that, where you just feel like, nobody appreciates me. I want this thing that makes me feel special. I want to feel like I'm worth it. I'm worth this. Uh, and so he caves and he has this moment of weakness and he immediately regrets it and he can't get rid of this thing. And there's a great side plot with him finally figuring out how to get rid of it involving more of the bench. And so we begin to see more of the relationships, not just between Joanna and ex-co-worker, but between ex-co-worker and Y-co-worker and Z-co-worker. And you begin to get this real feel of a workplace community, which is one of the great things about a great workplace show. Absolutely. I also think that his plotline with having bought the bag really gets into some of the themes that the show is starting to uncover about uh, shopping and what that has to do with class, specifically with something like a special value network or home shopping network type thing where you have people who are, you know, in some ways, potentially exploiting poor people into spending money that they don't have um, on trash. Oh, yeah, on things that are not worth the money. Yeah. Yeah, and things that they do not need. And um, how, while for Joanna, this may be, you know, a haven and a place that she really um, feels safe in, it it can be a dangerous place for some people. Um, And I love that the show is leaning into that complexity. Yeah, I think that's a really good call out and a great idea of what direction thematically they can go. I also, Mm -hmm. in kind of the same note, uh, Molly Shannon's character, Jackie, other major uh, pillar of the show, she gets to go on a journey that's a lot about her wanting to sell the things that mean something to her on her show instead of the things that you know, she's instructed to sell because they will sell well. Like, obviously, the network is a business, and she's told, these are the products you're going to sell this week. And she's been doing this for so long, and she's so closely associated with her show. Her brand is her personal brand. And she wants to sell the things that matter to her. And it just so happens that the things that matter to her are these hideous troll tchotchkes. But the, the journey to get to this point where Patricia says, fine, you can sell the troll tchotchkes, the, I'm sorry, what are they called? They're called um, Crystal Buddies. Crystal Buddies with a Z. You can sell the Crystal Buddies on your show. Uh, There's something really interesting to that thematic conversation about, well, what is that worth? Because I, you know, obviously they want us to look at those and go, the Crystal Buddies are hideous little uh, troll gargoyle figurines for your desk and you're crazy to buy them. But at the same time, I'm sure we all know people who would see that and go, that's adorable. I want to put it on my desk. I want to put it on my mantle. I want to put, I'm your... I'm your aunt and I have a lot of cats and I also want to collect the crystal buddies. Like those people exist and it makes them feel good. And so who cares if you think it's a piece of trash, if they buy it and it makes them feel good, good for them. Good for them. But at the same time, we learn about Jackie uh, that she oh, she's has a hoarder. kept on. Oh, by the way, she's a hoarder. She's a hoarder. <laughs> 
she's kept every object that she's ever sold and it's made her home basically unlivable and so they show these shots of her apartment and it's just full of like what looks like trash everywhere but what you know what is revealed to be every item that she has ever sold on her show um so it's making her unable to live (laughs) so even though she might find it valuable maybe she loves these crystal buddies you know it's also to her detriment it's true it's true and i and i think for all these reasons and more this is why we really are in love with this show and and mm-hmm. it's so great to see something with a fun interesting premise at the beginning that gets you in the door because we, we often talk about shows especially in the era of peak tv uh peak streaming where where you'll hear somebody say yeah yeah it's a little slow to get started oh yeah yeah you got to get to like episode five i uh, you know season one isn't the best but when you get to season two so great and here's a show where it is good out the gate we enjoyed those first few episodes but we had these lingering mm-hmm. questions about well where do you go from here and am I going to feel icky at the end of the season and instead they show you no 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 we know where we're going and we just you know you can't lay all of this stuff on on the viewer in the pilot you can't be like meet all these characters she's lying about cancer her boss oh she just found out she has cancer oh this person he feels under loved and wants to buy a bag that's that's too much too fast you can't go that deep on everybody and so they did a great job of easing us in with the humor and some of the lightness with this heavy question lingering of how long can she get away with it as kind of the fuel to keep you watching uh, beyond the fact that you were just having a good time. And that's some great alchemy. All of that is to say, I think they constructed the first season really, really well in a way that earned uh, this discussion of their deep themes. You know, I, I don't think I would have started the season expecting to discuss such deep themes around like consumerism and uh, no. what, you know what the special value network means but here we are yeah absolutely and i love that there's still so much more to unpack with those themes and with these characters i think because they've made me value these relationships i i just need showtime to renew this show <laughs> yes please showtime listen we, we, have to. we know you listen yeah I have a feeling we're going to get more time with I love that for you. And when we do, I'll love that for us. And I'll love it for you, dear listener, because we'll get to do another episode about it. Can't wait. But until then, you can always get in touch with us, podcast at streamageddon.com, or leave us a review wherever you get your podcasts and let us know what you think. Uh, you can also find us on Twitter. I'm at I am Chris Barlow. Diane is at Diane Nora. Diane with two N's. And uh, until next time, I just want you all to know the world of streaming, it's big, it's vast, it's expansive, but it's also very small because it's literally in the palm of your hand. So go stream something. See, I was trying to end it with a big, important point, the way that they would end a a true crime podcast episode with a big, important thematic point about the universe and the world. And it's so big, but it's also, it's so small. Yeah, it's uh, it's everything that uh, Oliver Putnam would want. Oh, thank you. Thank you. (laughs) 